We are in a series looking at uh, this series called Easter Tide, celebrating the resurrection every day. And uh, we've been, I've been using this quote by the author Ron Rollheiser uh, that said, our culture knows how to anticipate an event, but we don't know how to sustain an event. We move from one thing to the next. And yet Easter is a season in the church. Easter is not just a one-day event that we celebrate. It's a season of 50 days. And again, I just love that it's more than Lent. It's longer than Lent. You know, Lent is 40 days. Easter's 50 days. Feast is always better than the fast. And we've been focusing on conversations that Jesus had, the resurrected Jesus had with his disciples, because what Jesus says to them, he wants to say to us. And so we want to pay attention. And my hope today, my message today is on uh, the resurrection, breakfast, and grace. My hope is that the way you eat breakfast from this day forward would be different, that you would have a different mindset when you eat breakfast from this day forward. And so John 21, let's pray, let's invite the Spirit to speak to us and open our eyes as we look into our passage today. Let's pray. Father, thank you for gathering us in this place, in this third service. And Lord, I pray that you would speak to us, open the eyes of our understanding of our hearts, that we may get a fresh glimpse of who you are and what you are doing in our lives. May your kingdom come. May your will be done. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Uh, One of my favorite things to do um, is, is serve others. It's actually one of my primary love languages, acts of service. And uh, one of the ways that I demonstrate my love for others is by making breakfast, is by making breakfast. Uh, Six years ago or so on Christmas morning, our family adopted this this tradition that I would be the person uh, cooking breakfast for the family. I don't know how it happened. My wife just said, can you make breakfast? And then it just became a thing that happened for the last six years. So... Whoever comes in, though, I, it becomes something that I love to do. And, and just to give you a sense, I'm not just talking about some toast. I'm working four burners here, okay? So I'm just doing like the four burners. I got the eggs. I got the pancakes. I got the sausage. I got the bacon. I'm sure the toast is burning. But, but, but this is like I'm operating it. It's one of my favorite things to do, just Christmas breakfast. You know, then we open up the gifts, and it's just a fantastic time. It is just wonderful. And as I've been in this passage in John 21, I realized that Jesus and I have something in common, and that one of the ways that we demonstrate our love for those that we love is by preparing meals for them. When you consider the ministry of Jesus, much of what Jesus did was centered around food. Hardly anything that Jesus did, he did not do without Food And when you consider Jesus' ministry, we, we see that so much of it was centered. When Jesus begins his miracles, the first miracle that he does is at a wedding feast where there is food and he takes water and he turns it into wine. Besides the resurrection, as Pete mentioned in the offering, uh, the only miracle in all four of the Gospels is the multiplication of bread and fish. When Jesus died, he gave his disciples not just like a painting to remember him. He said, listen, take a meal, take some bread and a cup and remember my life. And when he died, uh, he gives this to his disciples. 
His fascination with food and his preoccupation with food was so amazing that the religious leaders of the day called him a glutton and a drunkard. Could you imagine someone calling you a drunkard and a glutton? This is what the religious leaders called Jesus. He ate too much and he drank too much and Jesus was totally fine with it. Jesus loved himself some food. He's talking about it. He's making it. One of the reasons I love New Life is because on a Sunday morning, you'll go to any different room here and you'll find food everywhere in this church. It's one of the reasons I love our church. And in this final chapter in the Gospel of John, John writes about an important breakfast made by Jesus himself. And we encounter Jesus in this story really as what I like to think is he's the first iron chef. You heard of Bobby Flay? This is the first iron chef. And the resurrected Jesus invites his friends over for breakfast. And this meal, this breakfast is filled with so much grace and so much love. Beginning in verse number one, John chapter 21, hear the word of the Lord. It's a lengthy passage, so stick with me as I read it. It says, afterwards, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon, uh, Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told him. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize it was Jesus. You see a theme last week and then this week as well. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. Very strange. But when they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved, this is how John just identified himself, okay? Just like the one who Jesus loved. I mean, I'm sure it irritated the rest of the disciples there. Uh, then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153, but even with so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, and this is what I want to focus on, come have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. This is uh, one of the post-resurrection stories, after Jesus resurrected from the dead, he encounters his disciples. And so Jesus dies, he resurrects, death has died through his resurrection, grace is available, forgiveness is available, and yet this is a very confusing time for his disciples. He's back from the dead, but they can't anticipate where he would be and when he will show up. 
After the resurrection, uh, Jesus would appear to them only very briefly, and then he would kind of like just disappear and move on to something else, and then appear again, and somehow just disappear again. And they never knew exactly when they might encounter him again. Now, this was different from when Jesus was walking with them when he was alive before uh, his death, because when they couldn't find Jesus in the Gospels, they only they knew there's a certain place where he would be probably praying. He's probably in the temple. But after a while, they ultimately found Jesus. Every time they searched for him, they found him. But after the resurrection, they never knew where he would be. And although they couldn't find him, Jesus consistently found them. I love what Will Willimon, the great Methodist preacher, says about the risen Jesus. He says, the risen Christ is free and moving. He does not intend to remain boxed in on one day of the week for an hour in church. He does not recognize the separation we tend to make between the secular and the religious. He intrudes, comes to you where you are, speaks to you, and reveals himself to you. So pay attention when you are sitting at your desk or sweeping the floor or reading a book. Easter means, among other things, that Jesus is loose and that he is looking for you. We saw last week this to be the case in the Emmaus story, that he met his disciples on the road. And in this story, Jesus encounters his disciples yet again. The story goes that Peter, one of the disciples, the leader of the disciples there, he can't find, he's hungry, and he says, let's go out to to fish. And so he takes his other disciples with him, but they can't find any fish. They have not caught any fish. And so the night has passed, the morning, a sun has come in, and, and Jesus shows up, but they don't know that it's Jesus. He's about 100 yards from them, and he shouts a question. And Jesus, they don't know it's Jesus, but he, he shouts a question. He goes, friends, have you, haven't you any fish? And they shout out back, no. And then he, he makes this very strange suggestion. Throw your net on the other side, on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. This is very strange. The net is over here. He says, bring your net over here, and you'll get some fish. What's even more strange is the disciples listened to him, not knowing that it was Jesus. I would have been like, no, why don't you come and get some fish? (laughs) But they do it anyway. And as they do it, They catch this massive amount of fish. And at this point, John, the one who Jesus loves, says, it is the Lord. And Peter hears that it's the Lord. And Peter was always this impulsive guy cutting people's ears off, uh, just talking out of place, uh, denying Jesus, very impulsive. He does something very strange. He hears that it's the Lord. And then the, the story says that he hears it, he puts on his robe, and then he goes into the water. Typically, you take your clothes off and then go into the water. He puts his clothes on, and then he jumps into the water. Very strange, this Peter. Very strange. And so when they get to the shore, they discover that Jesus, it's Jesus, and he started making them breakfast. Breakfast is already prepared for them. And again, we see this beautiful and consistent theme with the resurrected Jesus and his disciples. They were not looking for Jesus. They were looking for fish. And yet Jesus found them. This is why it's important uh, when when people say, uh, I found God or I found Jesus. No, you didn't. God wasn't lost. (laughs) 
Jesus wasn't lost. We were lost. I was lost. You was lost. You were lost. God wasn't the lost one. He always finds us. And Jesus always finds his disciples. And what I love about the story is not only does he find his disciples, he finds them in the most ordinary of places. Sometimes I wonder, why didn't God plan a more impressive and dramatic resurrection? If it were up to me, if God said, Rich, how would you want to do this resurrection thing and the appearances? I would say, I'll tell you how I would do it. If I were Jesus, I'd show up in the temple, first of all. The people that crucified him, the people, I'd just show up. Just random, while they're having their worship service, and just show up and say, I'm back. You know, something like that. Just, <laughs> just like, I'm back. I'd show up at, like, in Caesar, the, the emperor of Rome, like, 2 a.m. in the morning, in his bedroom. What's up now, Caesar? You know, just like this early, just early, scare him. You know, just 2 a.m. I show up in the, the places of power to let them know, you, you crucified me, but I'm back from the dead. But Jesus doesn't show up in these places. He shows up in the most ordinary of places, making his disciples breakfast on the shore. He doesn't go to the places of power. To reveal himself, he goes to the places people would least expect. And this is why, as much as I love our gatherings on Sunday and it's important for our spiritual formation, sometimes God doesn't always meet us very deeply in a corporate gathering like this. But that doesn't mean that God is not pursuing you. God will pursue us in the most ordinary of circumstances. While you're washing dishes, while you're doing laundry, while you're doing grocery shopping, he will appear and reveal himself. You'll, you'll feel his grace and uh, his, hear his voice and experience his love because Jesus tends to show up in the most ordinary Ordinary of places. This is why I love uh, Kathleen Norris. She wrote a great book called The Quotidian uh, Mysteries, uh, and the subtitle is Laundry, Liturgy, and Women's Work. A little book, fantastic read. And the premise of the book is that God is interested in every detail of human existence. As it's been said, the world is charged with the glory of God. And she captures this reality that God is not just shows up in big places. He shows up in very simple, ordinary, unexpected places. In which she says this paragraph. She says, the Bible is full of evidence that God's attention is indeed fixed on the little things. But this is not because God is a great cosmic cop eager to catch us in minor transgressions, but simply because God loves us, loves us so much that the divine presence is revealed even in the meaningless workings of daily life. And so, yes, should you expect to meet Jesus when you're gathering for worship? Absolutely. But you should expect to meet Jesus while you're doing grocery shopping as well, while you're reading a book while you're washing the dishes. We should, be, we should be expecting Jesus, the resurrected one, because he's loose, he's alive, he's risen, to encounter us anywhere and everywhere we go. And so in our story, Jesus shows up in a very ordinary situation. He visits his disciples, he tells them how to catch the fish, and then he invites them over to bring the fish. And when they get closer, Jesus says these beautiful words, uh, come have breakfast. Such an ordinary invitation filled with extraordinary grace. And in this simple invitation to come have breakfast, Jesus is offering at least two things besides just a wonderful meal. He's offering a couple of things that I want to unpack for us. 
When Jesus says, come have breakfast, and you could be sure that he's saying this to you this afternoon, come have breakfast. What Jesus is offering, first of all, is a breakfast that's filled with generous forgiveness. Generous forgiveness. We must remember who Jesus is inviting over for breakfast. He's inviting people who just a few days ago abandoned him when he needed the most. When he was arrested and crucified and, and he was denied, his disciples scattered. They, after all he did for them, they scattered. After all that he put up with them through, they left him. They denied him. And yet Jesus tells them, come have breakfast. This is why this, this phrase, come have breakfast, is one of the more beautiful invitations and signs of the grace of God. Because if I were Jesus in that situation, I would not have said, come have breakfast. As, as, as they came closer to the shore, I'll tell you what I would have told them if I was Jesus. Instead of saying, come have breakfast, I would have said, you guys better make me breakfast. That's what I would have told them. I died for you resurrected, the least you can do is make me some breakfast. And I would have told them we're in the New Testament now, so I want some sausages and some bacon later for the Old Testament. I want all of that. I'd be asking for everything. But Jesus doesn't say, you better make me breakfast. He says, come, it's already prepared for them. It's already ready for them. In other words, Jesus does not tell them, guys, you need to make up for your mistakes. He doesn't say that. He has already prepared a meal for them filled with gracious forgiveness. And it's almost as if Jesus is trying to reinforce what he's taught his disciples for the three years that he's with them, that nothing can separate you from the love of God. That God's love is relentless. That God loves, God pursues you. That our deepest identity as people is that we are loved by God. That is our deepest identity. I like how Brendan Manning says it. Brendan Manning, he says, my deepest awareness of myself is that I am deeply loved by Jesus Christ and I have done nothing to earn it or deserve it. May that be our deepest awareness as well, that we are loved by Jesus Christ. And we have done nothing to earn it, nothing to deserve it. And yet, this beautiful meal that Jesus prepares for his disciples and he prepares before us, uh, we tend to be skeptical of this meal, skeptical of this love. It's almost too good to be true. If I'm one of Jesus' disciples at that moment. I'm thinking, did he put something in the fish? I mean, uh, I mean maybe to get back at me, did he slip something in the bread? I mean, we tend to be very skeptical about the love of God. And much of our suspicion of God's love is really a, a, a deep cultural reality. This is not a new thing. This is a mentality that's prevalent in our culture and in our churches. There was a, a study at Baylor University that said that 37% of Christians believe that God is both judgmental and highly engaged in the affairs of humans. Like a divine judge, God is watching us closely, eager to punish us for even minor infractions. You ever go to the carnival and that game, we got the hammer and then the, the thing come, pops up and then you hit it back down and it pops up and hit it back down. That's how we view God. You show up and he just hits you right back down. You mess up, the head comes up and he hits you. That's God. 
And most of, us, most of us have a vision of God, this carnival God that your head comes up and he's going to smash you right back down. He's waiting for me to slip up and he's going to take advantage. And this is very subtle and sometimes very deep. There are times, have you ever thought there are times where if you've done something good, something inside of you, you're thinking something good is about to happen to me. Maybe you prayed, you got up a little extra early, you gave God five extra minutes. You were like, God, I'm giving you five extra minutes today. And God gave you, you gave God five extra minutes and you're just feeling, I think I'm going to be blessed. Something good is going to happen to me. And then something good happens and we take credit because we prayed. Or you don't pray that day. You forgot to pray. You lost your Bible. You were irritable that day. Moody, angry, sharp. And you realize then something maybe negative happens to you. And the first thing that happens in our mind, oh, the reason why it happened was because I didn't pray. I can't find my Bible. I was sharp with that person. I was angry with that person. And, and we, we associate if I do good and get good, it's because I am good. And if I do bad and receive bad, it's because I am bad. But that's not the way of the kingdom of God. That's not the way of the gospel. The way of the gospel is even when you mess up, God still has blessing and love for you. That you, you cannot make God love you anymore by your good deeds. And you can't make God love you any less by the bad things you've done. His love is perfect. His love is unconditional. And so Jesus says, the, the, I make the sun to rise uh, and, and the rain to fall on the just and the unjust. And yet we tend to have a mentality, very subtle, that if I don't do right, God is going to punish me. And it happens in very deep ways as well. It's not just, I can't find parking. Lord, what did I do yesterday? Is it because I didn't pray? Is that what it is? And it also happens in very deep areas of our lives where cancer comes, bad situation comes. And the first thing, maybe we won't verbalize it, but very subtly, so what did I do to deserve this? What did I do to deserve this? And yet Jesus offers us a different picture of God. Jesus offers the full and final revelation of who God is. Jesus shows us that even when his disciples have messed up, he has breakfast for them. Come have breakfast. Now beyond this, you would think, Breakfast filled with generous forgiveness, that's enough. Lord, thank you. And yet Jesus, his breakfast doesn't stop at just generous forgiveness. There's something else that Jesus offers. And what Jesus offers in this meal that he offers to his disciples and in this meal that he offers to you and I, beyond just generous forgiveness, is he also offers gracious friendship. Gracious friendship. Jesus could have visited his disciples told them, hey guys, come close here. And when they got close, he would have said, I know you guys are still feeling guilty about what you did. I want to let you know, I've forgiven you. Don't live with this guilt anymore. Don't live with the shame anymore. And then he could have said, all right, listen, we're never going to talk again though. And, um, but I don't want you to carry that. Listen, have a great life and all that. He could have just left and they could have been forgiven. But Jesus doesn't stop there. Jesus doesn't go, all right, you're forgiven. He offers them forgiveness. And then he says, hey, let's, let's just restore this friendship thing to again. He offers them gracious friendship, and I love it. Jesus does not wish to be without his friends. 
It's like he can't get enough of them. And, and, and as I thought about the story, I thought about this wonderful quote from one of my favorite theologians, a guy named Karl Barth, Swiss theologian. And he said these words. He said, God does not will to be God without us. And he does not will that we should be without him. Certainly God can be God without us. Certainly God can exist without us. God within the loving union of the Trinity, the Father loving the Son, the Son loving the Spirit, the, 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 the Father through the Spirit, certainly God can exist and be just fine without us. And yet God creates humanity. He creates us. Why? Because it's like God saying, I do not want to be God without you. Imagine this love. He was just fine. Father, Son, and Spirit in eternity past having a great time in love. And yet he said, I want to create them. Why? Because I do not want to be God without them. And he does not wish that we would be without him. Come have breakfast deepen our friendship. At the end of John in chapter 15, he tells his disciples, I don't call you servants anymore. You're my friends. Could you imagine God, friendship with God? It's actually very staggering if you give it more than just three seconds to think about. It's staggering. Friendship with God. And more and more, I'm realizing in a time of prayer that prayer is essentially a deepening of friendship with God. Me getting to know God and God getting to know me or me uh, revealing more of myself to God. And when you show up, when, I imagine when Jesus welcomed them, we don't get more details. We don't hear tone. We don't see what else Jesus did. But I assure you, Je Jesus is generous and Jesus is joyful. And I imagine Jesus didn't say, come have breakfast. I imagine he said, there's more than enough for everybody. And bring the rest of the fish as well. I'll cook that too. Jesus is a master grill person. Yeah, bring the fish. I imagine Jesus was ecstatic to see his disciples, thrilled to see his disciples. He's thrilled that you show up. He longed to be with you. And as I thought about this story of the God who wants to have breakfast with us, my mind went to think about a really simple analogy. And this analogy, all analogies are imperfect, all metaphors are imperfect but, just, imperfect, but just stick with me here. I thought about this analogy with dogs and cats. <clears throat> and I want to tell you why I love dogs. And this is not an anti-cat illustration, okay? And so um, <clears throat> a couple of people say, I'm going to send you an email, Pastor Rich. Don't send me any emails about cats and stuff, okay? This is, a, this is more of a pro-dog conversation than an anti-cat illustration, okay? I started thinking about how dogs are like God. Someone, someone sent me a really deep Facebook thing as well. They, I, I posted this, and they said, Pastor Rich, you know that dog spelled backwards is God. I said, oh, my goodness. <laughs> People getting deep on me on Facebook, you know? <clears throat> you ever see a dog... When you walk in, if you have a dog, you walk into the house. And when you walk in, when the dog sees you, the dog is happy to see you. The tail is wagging. They're jumping up and down. They're looking for a toy. They're running in circles. And you see them, you give them a hug. Oh, I'm so happy to see you, whatever you do. And then you go, oh, you know what? Left something in the car. I'll be right back. You close the door. You go into the car. You're gone for two minutes. You come back into the house. 
The dog acts like you've been gone for a month. He sees you again. I don't know if he has bad memory or he just loves you that much, you know, but the dog is just like loving. It's just like, oh, this is fantastic. I just saw you two minutes ago, and this is the love that you're giving. It's just wonderful. Cats are not like that. If you have a cat, and when you walk in, you could be gone for four months. <clears throat> I want to show you how your cat greets you at the door, just like this here. So you're back, huh? That's basically the cat. You're going to feed me or what, you know? A couple of new lifers said to me, uh, there's like a dog and cat theology that exists. There's a whole movement about all this stuff here. And as I thought about that, and I thought about this passage, I thought, I wonder how many people think God views them. How does God respond when they pray? Do you think God is excited to see you? That you're, you haven't prayed in a, in, in a couple of days, a couple of weeks, a couple of months, and all of a sudden you come back to pray, and, and do, you, do you have a vision of a God who's just excited to see you? You're back. Or, or is God looking at you like this here when you come back? <laughs> what do you want, you know? Very sadly, we tend to have an image of God that God just put up, puts up with us. He tolerates us. That God just, ha because he's God and he has to, and God is love, and so he has to just tolerate us. And yet Jesus offers us a vision of a, of a God who's not just indifferent towards us, but he loves us, celebrates us. He longs to be in communion with us. Come have breakfast, Jesus says. This is the God of all creation, and he tells us to come have breakfast, to enter into loving friendship and loving communion with this God. And I started thinking even further about how staggering this is that the God of all creation longs to have friendship with me. And could you imagine, put yourself in this situation, could you imagine someone that you idolize, someone really famous that you admire, a sports figure, a LeBron James, a Steph Curry, a, a actor, a George Clooney, a, a Julia Roberts, a Matt Damon. I just saw Ocean's Eleven, you know, so I did, oh, Matt Damon, all those guys there. <clears throat> and imagine one day you meet them, and you had a great conversation with them, and then a week later, you get an email from them. And the email said, hey, it was great to meet you. Hey, you want to hang out again? It'd be a little strange first, like, you, you want to hang out with me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know I met you. Let's hang out. And then you hang out. Listen, George Clooney, just let, let's hang out again. So we hang out again. And then a week goes by, you're eating at a restaurant, and, and the guy you idolize walks into the restaurant, looking for you. And they go, yeah, 
you mind if I, you know, I, I heard you were here. Can I just, we hang out? It'd be a little strange. Like, I'm supposed to be doing this to you. Why are you doing this to me? It'd be really strange if that happened. And as I thought about that, I thought, that's just with someone you idolize. The God who created the one that you idolize. The Alpha and Omega. The beginning and the end. The first and the last. The God and Father of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The one who created all of this stuff that we see longs to be in communion with you. So much so that he shows up in the most random places. He's the God who wants to extend to you gracious friendship. And so he simply says, come, come have breakfast. And so what do we, what do we learn from this incredible story? We learn minimally two things, that when Jesus says, come have breakfast, first of all, what we learn is that your failures can never separate you from the love of God. These disciples messed up, and yet their failures cannot separate them from the love of God. Your failures, whatever you've done in the past, whatever you've done last week, whatever you're addicted to, whatever you're struggling with, nothing can separate you from the love of God. Come have breakfast, Jesus says. And in addition to our failures not separating us from the love of God, what we also learn in this story is that Jesus' breakfast, forgiveness, and friendship is always hot and ready for you. Always hot and ready for you. Let me close with this. After years of having one strategy, McDonald's recently decided to make a shift. Up until very recently, they used to serve breakfast until 11 a.m. This was a problem. I remember going to McDonald's at 10.55, kicking the door down, just running to the counter, looking at the clock and saying, 10.55, I have five minutes to order some breakfast. And then I would say, let me get some hotcakes and some, I'm not a big McDonald's, but I love the breakfast. Can I have hotcakes and sausage? And the person at 1056 would say, sorry, we're not taking any more orders for breakfast. And I remind them, you said 11 o'clock. I see it's 1056. I know you have some hotcakes and some sausage in the back. We don't have any hotcakes or sauces. Can I get a biscuit? Can I get a hash brown? What can you give me at 1057? They said, we just stopped serving breakfast. And I step away very slowly from the line. I kick a French fry, you know, just upset <laughs> the whole thing. Because breakfast stopped at 11 a.m. Now, McDonald's recognized something. They got all my emails, and they recognized something. <laughs> that sometimes you want breakfast after 11 a.m., so they said, we have now breakfast all day. Sometimes you want hot cakes at 7 p.m. Sometimes you want a biscuit at 8 p.m. Sometimes you want breakfast when you're supposed to be having dinner. Sometimes you just want breakfast all day. And as I thought about McDonald's, I thought about Jesus. And this is what I thought. 
That although McDonald's at a certain point would say, this is all the breakfast you're going to get, with Jesus' breakfast, he says, my breakfast is available all day, every day. What do you need? Forgiveness? Available. What do you need? Friendship? There's plenty where that came from. At any time in the day, 2 a.m. and 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. and in the afternoon, whatever breakfast Jesus is offering is available all day, all night, 24-7, 365, whenever you need it. Come have breakfast. This is what Jesus invites us to. He doesn't say he never runs out of forgiveness. He doesn't say, I forgot to do the inventory. There's no more forgiveness. He never runs out of extending friendship. All he says is, come have breakfast. There's more where that came from. It's available all day, every day. And so you and I in this room, I imagine we've been, we've been eating various meals that have not satisfied. Those meals coming in the form of relationships, not satisfying. Those meals coming in the form of jobs, not satisfying. Those meals coming in the form of accomplishments, not satisfying. Those meals coming in the form of possessions, not satisfying. The only thing that can satisfy the deepest longings of our hearts is the breakfast that Jesus makes. Forgiveness and friendship. Forgiveness and friendship. Come have My hope this week is that when you have breakfast, that you would convert these meals into meetings with Jesus, that Jesus longs to meet with you, that when you're eating your breakfast, may it be a reminder, may we never eat breakfast the same. May every time we, we have a meal, we go, oh, God wants to talk to me. I love it. This, this little six-year-old this morning, seven-year-old this morning, she stood into the service. I saw she was taking some notes. I said, what's going on here? This little seven-year-old taking notes of the sermon. And afterwards, I saw in the lobby, I said, what was the sermon about? And she said, it was about Jesus and breakfast. I thought, this is so simple, Jesus and breakfast. And I looked at her, I said, every time you have breakfast this week, Jesus wants to talk to you. Jesus wants to embrace you. And she's just smiling, really, really? And I thought, how simple this is for this little one and how profound it is for all of us that whenever you have a meal this week, the living, resurrected Jesus who is alive, who is loose, who is available, longs to offer you grace, forgiveness, and friendship. Amen? Amen. Let me invite you to close your eyes. I want to invite the worship team to come forward. All of us truly long for this forgiveness, for this friendship. We long for it. And Jesus says, come, just come. Say, Lord, well, I, I haven't prepared myself. No, just come. Lord, I still have some sin I'm dealing with. Just come. Lord, I really had a really bad day yesterday. Chewed out my spouse, yelled at the kids. I was just not a good person yesterday. He says, come, 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 come. All of you come. 
says, allow my breakfast to change you. Allow this meal to satisfy you. Come have breakfast. I imagine some of you, you're carrying guilt and shame and you're really battling with some maybe sins, some addictions. Today's an opportunity to receive the grace that Jesus offers you. Some of you feel isolated, alone. Today's a day to receive the friendship that the living God wants to have with you. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray that we would taste and see that you are good. Satisfy the deepest longings of our hearts. Transform us by your grace. Make us into new people. Lord, we sing to you now as a response to, of your grace, a sign of gratitude. We sing. We worship you. Jesus' name we pray and everyone said, let's all stand and sing together. I want to invite our prayer team to come to my left. We have the Lord's table to my right. And really there are two invitations this afternoon. Michael, if you can just pick me up just a little bit. There's two invitations. One is for those of you that have never had breakfast made by Jesus. What I mean by that is you've never tasted his forgiveness. You've never tasted friendship with him. You've never had it. You've never said yes to having a relationship with Jesus. And some of you might say, you know, I, I can't remember if I've ever tasted this breakfast. If, if you're thinking that, you probably have never tasted the breakfast. Because if you go to a restaurant and you thoroughly enjoy the meal, you're not going to forget it going to say, I remember that one place right on Queens Boulevard. I remember where it's at. I'm never going forget to forget that meal. And so if you can't even remember of tasting his forgiveness and tasting his friendship, today's your day to say yes. And we have our prayer team here. And what that simply means is you say, Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sins. I want to be your disciple. I want to follow you. I want to enter into friendship with God your journey begins by the grace of God. And so if you've never made that decision, you can come forward to receive prayer. For those of you, the other group of you, you've had Jesus' breakfast a while ago, but it's been a while since you've had it again. You don't have friendship with Jesus. It doesn't feel that way. It just feels like maybe you're just, you're a servant, maybe. You're helping, you're doing things for him, but you're not really experiencing that friendship with him. Jesus says, I don't call you servants anymore. I call you friends. And he longs to uh, have us enter into that friendship. And maybe you feel far from God today. Maybe you are a Christian, but you feel far. We have our prayer team here as well. To, as it were, offer you the breakfast that Jesus has. And to my right, we have the Lord's table. We can come and take bread and dip it in the cup, being reminded that this is the meal that truly satisfies, died and resurrected for us so that we could enter into union with him. And may every
every breakfast you have this weekend, by God's grace, for the rest of your life, be shaped by the story that God wants to meet you. So as we close, I want to invite you to open your hands towards heaven to receive a blessing. And if you're new here, we do this because this is a sign of receiving. You cannot give what you have not received. And so with your hands and your hearts in a posture of receiving, brothers and sisters and sons and daughters of the living God, may the Lord bless you and may he keep you. May he shine his face upon you. May he fill you with peace. May you walk out of this building in the power of the Holy Spirit, entering into deeper friendship with Jesus. May you hear his voice. May he surprise you with his presence in the most ordinary of places. May you feel and grasp his love. And may you extend that to the world around you. And so I bless you all today in the strong, in the beautiful, in the resurrected name of Jesus. And everyone said, Amen.